Welcome to the podcast. I am Tess Lone. And I am Alicia Adams. We are the founders of 1111 Talent Collective, which is a recruitment agency that specializes in the retail apparel and consumer goods industry. All right. Today on session 11, we have the one, the only, the beautiful Joseph Granado, who is the VP of Global Retail Experience at Amher Sports Corporation. Why still my heart. Oh, this I, man has my whole heart. I totally got that. I mean, I've always loved Joe, but like I mentioned in the podcast, I haven't spent that much time with him. And right. you kept asking him out and he warned me about that. And then <laughs> like five minutes into our conversation, I was like, I want to go on a date with Joe. <laughs> See, I told you. I've honestly, you know, been out for dinner with Joe in the past and then at the end just said, this was the best date of my life. And he's like, Tess, this isn't a date. We're not on a date for colleagues. I'm like, I don't care. This is the best date I've been on. <laughs> I hear you. And we've got to take him out for dinner. Like, what a dream. Yes. What a dream. So what were some of the highlights of this conversation for you? I mean, again, we're just so lucky with our guests being so vulnerable and authentic with us. He really mm -hmm. did a deep dive into his childhood, which was so fascinating. Like his birth order, he has a yes. family, but he is the youngest by 10 years. Yeah. Um, and then there's five kids ahead of him. So that's like a, a very different yes. dynamic. And he almost grew up as an only child in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How wild, but in such very a different. loving household, which you can totally get that from mm -hmm. him. Yes. Um, he spoke about being bullied as a child, which, mm -hmm. um, you know, was obviously very vulnerable and I think will provide a lot of connection for people listening. Yes. Um, what else, what, what was a highlight for you? You know, I loved how he spoke about what he looks for when he's interviewing and hiring because I've been Joe's yes. recruiter for so many years and he is the most engaged leader in his passion about meeting new individuals and hiring for his team. He really values the people that work for him. And it's just such a testament to his leadership. Totally. hundred percent. All right. What is Joe's drink? Okay. Joseph Granado, you actually came up with this, which I loved immediately. We went with the old fashioned. So the old fashioned is a cocktail made by muddling sugar with bitters and water and adding a nice dash of whiskey. Like I can just picture Joe at like a super classy <laughs> bar in New York city, just like waltzing up, ordering this. Like it just came together. He wouldn't even order it because the bartender would know what he wanted. <laughs> you know, he'd just go lean upon on the bar and the bartender would slide it across the bar and he'd go, Mm-hmm. Just nod. <laughs> and what did you say when I said that? What was the first thing you said to me when I was like, he's an old fashioned? I was like, yes, 100%, because he's such an oldster as well. Like, he's like an old soul in a young hot body. <laughs> in a young hot body. I'm dying. He's going to kill us. Um, couldn't agree more. This is such a moving, fascinating conversation, and we hope you enjoy. 
Yes. We are so, so excited about this episode today on Saturday. We have the one, the only Joe Granado, who is the VP of Global Retail Experience at Amherst Sports. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yay. Have you. Um, So, Joe, I was just reflecting on you before this conversation, and I I really, you're someone I've always really admired, not only obviously for your incredible career path, which we're going to talk about today, um, but just really like how you carry yourself, how you show up as a human being, how you show up as a leader. There's something so approachable and inspiring about you. And I haven't had a lot of opportunity to sit down and really connect with you. I've learned a lot about you through tests. So I'm just so grateful we have this time and that you're spending some time sharing about your life with us. Thank you. Um, okay, so Tess, do you have anything to add or anything you want to say about You know, when you were saying that, you know what image popped into my mind? Have you seen that image? It's like a famous image of Obama walking through the White House and he's giving a fist bump to the janitor. Yes. That is Joe. Yes. Joe has this beautiful ability to be like the high low in every moment of his life. And yeah. I think that's been the most like impactful thing I've learned about being with Joe. That's such a great description. <laughs> such a great um, Ladies, this is like the biggest uh, self-esteem boost I've had in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, is this making you so uncomfortable? Yes, yeah. it's like, I, if my fa- I think my face is three shades of red. <laughs> and, um, I can definitely feel warm in the cheeks and warm in the ears. So yeah, I, I um, am practicing my uh, my listening and taking it on. Taking uh, it on. You deserve it. You deserve One it. One more fun fact. I have proposed to Joe three or four times in the history of knowing. <laughs> and I have been declined every single time. I didn't know that. That's and a really good fact. Strong to be positioned over open up. You know what, I'd love to know how many proposals Joe has had in his life because I feel like it would be a lot. I think, the same resp- I, think I said the same response all four times. I'm gay, Tess. <laughs> Doctor. But I'm very persistent. <laughs> oh my God. So Joe, as you know, before we kind of jump into your career path, we always like to get a little bit nosy, dial it back to what we call your origin story, because really it's just so fascinating to learn a little bit about people before, like those formative years, before we jump into your career, because so much of what you learned, your values, who you became, impact, of course, where you've ended up. So I know that you grew up in Downers Grove, Illinois. I'm so excited to hear about this little town. You said it's a little suburb outside of Chicago. What was that like for you? Can you kind of paint a picture what it was like growing up there? Yeah, so um, I was the youngest of six kids. And, um, you know, Downers Grove is describes it well in the sense it's like, deciduous tree-lined streets, um, you know, with, with uh, houses that are, you know, somewhat close together. Kids play hockey in the street and, you know, running around from, you know, ri- riding your bike throughout the neighborhood. So definitely it was like, 
you know, the block that we, we lived on was the block that you wanted to trick or treat on. You wanted to, um, you know, you, you wanted to drive down during the holiday season because everyone's lights, uh, Christmas or holiday lights would be up. Um, and it was just, it was, um, it was a, 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 a charming little suburb, um, you know, outside of the city of Chicago, but close enough that, you know, I, I definitely didn't feel like a suburban kid. You know, my life was very much between, between city and, and suburb. Um, but it was, you know, I mean, my, my parents had six kids and, you know, raising a family in the city of six was probably not an option for them. And, um, but, you know, in, in the Chicago winters, my dad would, um, would freeze the backyard so my siblings could play hockey back there. Um, and in the, you know, and in the summer we were always barbecuing and entertaining and it was, um, it was definitely our place or our house was the, the sort of community hub for a, a lot of chaos. Um, and, um, and, you know, for me growing up as the, as the youngest, um, you know, I always, I always had my siblings to not only look up to, but also just sort of almost keep up to. And I didn't realize that I was, you know, so far behind them in age. My oldest brother and I are 18 years apart. Wow. And my, and my, um, my closest uh, sibling, my sister is 10 years apart from me. So there were five kids in, in, you know, seven and a half, eight years, a 10 year gap. And then I came along, but I knew no different. I just saw them as my siblings and didn't really know that um, the age gap was so so I spent a lot of my childhood, you know, trying to keep up with them and, you know, and, and, and run at their level and run at their pace. Mm. Now, okay, so if there was 10 years between you and your youngest sibling, did you grow up then, like, were they out of the house for a lot of those years? Yeah. Your yeah. Up years? yeah. Yeah. So I, I, my oldest brother and I, uh, well, actually my, really my three oldest siblings, we never really shared a house together. Like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I was an infant while they were, you know, off to, um, to prep school and then to, to university. And I was at home, um, you know, with my mom and dad. But, and then by the time that my sister went off to university, I was eight. So from eight on, I, I had my parents all to myself. And I, I mean, I, I have a very special relationship with them. Yeah. And by the time that, you know, I came along, I was a, pretty responsible kid. Um, and I, um, I, I think they were, they, they weren't necessarily, I would say tired of parenting, but they didn't necessarily have to play such an active role in parenting yeah. me as they had when they had five kids in that period of time. So right. I had a lot more space and a lot more freedom as, as the youngest often do. Yeah. I love that. Cause I was going to say, I, I've heard from people that come from big families when they're the youngest, that their parents just don't care anymore <laughs> that they're over parenting so it's like you know they aren't necessarily that close with their parents because they've you know gone through it so many times with older siblings mm -hmm. so that's really cool to hear so in terms of the dynamics of your family again because of that kind of age gap were you close with your siblings you were close with your parents you said but were you close with your siblings at that age or what was kind of your family dynamic well you know, my sister, who's 10 years older than I am, I always say we're, we're like twins separated by 10 years. Okay, um, yeah. She was the youngest for five years, or for 10 years, rather. And then I came along. And, and a really cute, she told this story at my wedding, but, but a really adorable story that I love is her 10-year-old self made a promise to her, her infant brother that she was never going to treat me like the youngest. So she had been, you know, kind of patronized and, you know, underestimated. And she made a, a 
you know, commitment to me at 10 years old that she would never treat me like the youngest. And so I, I truly believe based on that um, mindset that she had that she and I have always been super close and, you know, no secrets, um, you know, zero judgment, no, no pretense. There's like a lot of speed to things. There's just genuine comfort. We could sit in the same room and not say anything. We could sit in the room and laugh for an hour. Um, So it's just, I would say she and I are very, very close. So cool. I love that. And so during your formative years, and by that I mean kind of getting into high school, you know, 12, 13 and up, who were you? How did you show up at that point in your life? I'm so curious. What, what guy were you in high school? I was, um, I, I mean, I often share I was like the Kermit character, the one that was, you know, responsible to keep kind of everybody together, um, you know, and I was... I was a bit of the responsible kid. So quite often, if my friend's parents knew that I was going to be somewhere, they got permission to go there. Um, I wasn't the, I've always described myself like I wasn't a wet blanket, you know, in the sense of like, I always wanted people to have fun, but I definitely kept people from, from getting into trouble. Mm, um, right. and, and responsibility is, is my, one of my top five strengths is my, my number one strength in my top five. Um, and I think responsibility definitely um, showcased itself as a strength when I was younger. I was, you know, I was in student council. I played an active role in, you know, wanting people to have a voice. Um, you know, when I was, when I was, a uh, like when I rebelled or when I was a rebel, it was often in the spirit of, um, community or, you know, people in general, it wasn't, it wasn't really rebellious for selfish or, or self-driven reasons. It was generally on behalf of like a greater group, um, people that didn't feel heard or some, some kind of thing like that. But that was, I would say definitely my, um, my, you know, and I joked, I remember even joking in as a teen and like going into my twenties that I should sell tickets to my midlife crisis because <laughs> I kind of jumped from being like, you know, an adolescent to being an adult. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, and, but I, but at the, you know, if I, as I look back, I wouldn't have changed anything. So. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Uh, it's so interesting that responsibility is one of your top traits. Again, being the youngest of six kids. I, I find that unusual, but it totally describes you to a T. So yeah. yeah. Well, birth order is something I've like studied a bit just because yeah. um, I find it interesting. And so technically, as I look at like birth order, um, you know, right, you know, the topic of birth order, sometimes I'm looked at as a youngest Sometimes I'm looked at as an only because I had my parents all to myself. Yeah. And sometimes I'm actually looked at as an oldest because I'm, I'm technically in my own generation. I don't share the same generation as my siblings. Wow. So I'm a bit of a right. conundrum when it comes to the birth order thing. <laughs> Fascinating. Love that. And so during, again, that time in your life, what were you up to when you weren't at school? Like what were your interests? Where, where did your passions kind of lie at that point in your life? Yeah, I was a theater kid, and um, and I wasn't really involved. I didn't I didn't necessarily love being a performer, but I loved being in stage management, and um, and so I loved like I spent my days after school. I actually went to an arts high school um, where we had our academic classes in the morning and our arts classes in the afternoon, and I um, I I spent my time 
you know, making stuff happen from a theatrical perspective. So production design, lighting design, stage management, that kind of thing. Um, and I, uh, you know, that's where I, I just, yeah, I did, couldn't get enough of it. But I also knew that I didn't necessarily want it as a career. So it was just something that was, that was fulfilling for me. But as I started to get, you know, towards the end of high school, it wasn't like I went, wanted to go major in, in theater or production design in university. Right. Very cool. And so what was your, your dream for your future? Like what, what did you want to be when you grew up at that point? <laughs> well, I would, I knew from a pretty early age, like I remember in, this is probably, you know, five, six, seven years old. I remember telling my parents when they asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I told them that I wanted to be an international business. Mm. And my, and I remember then like my mom going, well, what does that mean? You know, <laughs> I knew I wanted to work with people all over the world. Um, I, I got a chance to travel a lot with my parents, um, you know, and I loved traveling with them. I loved eating different food. I loved, you know, experiencing different things and um, meeting different people and learning, you know, learning, you know, to understand people with different accents, like all the things that, you know, get you out of like, you know, get one out of their own little bubble. Mm. I loved that. I loved that. And so I, um, I, I wanted to just to have that in my career. I wanted to work with people all over the world. And one of the other things that I always said is I was going to grow up and own my, my own airline. Remember that was a big, like oh I used to stand God. on my bed at grade seven <laughs> and pretend to address an auditorium of pilots and flight attendants. Oh my God. See, this, this is <laughs> stuff I love. Like this is just into your future. Vibes, by the way. And you too, honestly. I love that. And so who was the most influential person in your life growing up? Like who, you know, was there something that they said or they did that really kind of sticks with you to this day? Yeah, my first mentor. And I don't know, I would have referred to him as a mentor when I, uh, I knew him, but I talked a little bit about, um, you know, my love of theater and theater design. And he was a, a, a really well-known lighting designer, um, but he was the technical director of a community theater. And he was a guy by the name of David Siaki. And I was like Dave's shadow, you know, and he taught me everything to, you know, from stage management to lighting design to, you know, production design or whatever I wanted to learn about, he, he would, um, he would teach me. And I, you know, I think he recognized that I was a responsible kid. So I earned his trust, I think, uh, pretty quickly. And he gave me, he was the first kind of leader that, you know, created a big job, wasn't, didn't play me small, you know, wanted to play me big. And while I was, you know, I probably met him when I was 12 and, you know, we worked together, um, you know, in different theater productions for five or so years. I, I you know, he probably treated me as an adult from 13 onward. Um, right. He never treated me as a kid. And I, um, and, you know, when I think of the leaders in my life that i that I most wanted to work with, they all kind of have that same commonality. Um, and, you know, and the mentors that I've had have all had a, a very similar, um, similar outlook or mindset of just playing people big. Mm. That. That's such a great trait to think about in your own leadership. Mm -hmm. And so last question, digging into... <laughs> 
<laughs> your childhood. Oh God, what is when, it? <laughs> when did you start to get a sense of your authentic self? And what I mean is like who you were inside or, you know, when you really started to recognize your own values. Cause I think a lot of the time, especially in high school, you spend a lot of time trying to kind of blend in or, you know, mm-hmm. agree with your friends or not be the odd one out. Um, so when did you kind of start to get a sense of who you really were, who you were forming to be? I was a pretty determined little guy. Um, and I was bullied in grade seven. Mm. And I remember being like, and I mean like physically bullied, like I was, you know, beat up and, um, you know, my, and my locker was broken into and um, I, you know, kids, kids could kind of, I think, sense that I was different. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I, you know, I mean, I remember when I was bullied, like they would, you know, that I would be called a fag mm-hmm. and, you know, and beat up and, um, and that was a real thing, but it never really, and even to this day, it's not a moment that left me with post-traumatic stress. Yeah. It was, it, 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 I, I, I don't, I, you know, and looking back, I'm like, oh my God, how did I have this at 12? But it was like, you know, cause certain times I wish I could have it today where it was like, I don't actually know if I am worried about what you think. Like, this is who I am. And I think that's why it didn't permeate. Like the bullying didn't, didn't really have, well, it was horrible. Like I didn't want to go to school. My grades suffered. You know, my parents couldn't figure out what was going on. I was trying to hide it from them. Like that stuff was not fun, you know, but, um, but like bigger picture wise, I, I always remember the in, like the voice in my head was like, this is going to go away. And these people are, insignificant in your life in the grand scheme of things. Like that's what my voice would say, how my voice would translate it today. But, you know, however that would come out as as a 12 year old, you know, an 11 year old telling themselves this when they were going through it. But that's kind of what I was, what, and and so I think that like that kind of, you know, being comfortable with who I was and, you know, and not wanting to change who I was Mm -hmm. and, um, and just kind of, persistently going on, you know, you know, with it. And I never fought back and I probably could have fought back. Like I never swung back. I never even, you know, I would just sort of, you know, even when I was like getting swung at or my being punched or backpacks being swung at me, I would just sort of, you know, protect myself and then just like move on. Mm, Um, And so I think that was definitely a piece. And then I do think that carrying that forward in terms of I'm always on time. (laughs) And I do think that my mom was always late picking me up from school and that's often when I would get bullied. And so I think I probably am on time as a post-traumatic stress. <laughs> I think I probably am that's always on time. Like, for that's, you. You know, <laughs> so that might be something that I carry forward into the future right. that is uh, from, from a place of, uh, of, of trauma, if you will. But, um, but overall, I think, you know, like that was that, that authenticity, I wow. think showed up there. Of course. Mm-hmm. And what a remarkable way to think about it. I mean, like you said, however, you kind of formulated the thought in your brain at 12 years old to have that kind of foresight is incredible. And I think the fact that you have this really, um, you know, rest assured self-knowledge about yourself is what I, what I meant when I said, Mm -hmm. I just admire how you show up as a human. There's something that I can tell you're really comfortable with yourself and it, it permeates in how you lead people and how you connect with people. And, um, 
I think you just hit the nail on the head. That mm -hmm. was awesome. Thank you for Thank sharing you. that. Yeah, it's such yeah, a beautiful course. quality because the impact is it gives people permission to, to do the same, to be themselves. Mm -hmm kind of own whatever that is for them and then the piece on being on time <laughs> joe twice in my career and as a leader he would text me if we had a meeting at nine he would text me at 8 55 saying i will be four minutes late to our meeting and then, <laughs> and then come in at 9.04 to begin and it was uncanny how like how much integrity you have around your time and not just, you know, Lululemon style time integrity, but a whole other level. And I really appreciate that. I love that. <laughs> okay, so now okay, we're going to move to the career side and we'd love to start with your first role and particularly your first role in the operation space. So we know that's such a critical role to understanding businesses. So I'd love to hear what was it like? Where was it? What was the big learning you took and how did you know you had found your, your area of impact? Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, there's probably two areas, there's probably two roles, but the one that was first, um, I was in my early twenties and I was working in, um, for a nonprofit and helping to organize events, uh, fundraising events. And so in events, I mean, you're a generalist, you have to um, focus on so many different areas from ticket sales to donor tracking to sponsorship packages to, um, you know, to the day of and then food and beverage and the silent auction and everything else. And those, those different parts of, you know, events, I found thrilling. I loved being a part of something from end to end. I loved, you know, starting from a bit of a blank slate and then going all the way to the recap where you were, you know, hindsighting it and taking the lessons so that you could capture it for the next time you did it. Mm -hmm. And that was, I would say, and I didn't really, I mean, remember, I couldn't describe what operations was. I used to refer to it as logistics. It's like, I'm really good at logistics. Like I didn't, I didn't know how to describe you know, I didn't even know that this was a job, to be honest. I just, um, I remember my, my mom would always say, like, you're going to be the, you know, the jack of all trades and the master of nothing. And my smart ass comment back was going to be, well, I'm going to be a master in general knowledge. <laughs> um, but, but um, I, you know, events was definitely the first thing that, that um, you know, really kind of um, gave me a role that had a broad scope and a breadth of, different um problems to solve right. you know and and uh, and that's when i knew that you know uh, I, I wanted to be in it because work disappeared like it didn't seem like work mm -hmm. seven hours would disappear and it was fun i was in my flow state um as as we would know it today so great okay so from there i'd love to hear you know what was your biggest fear or challenge that you had to overcome when starting out in your career? Um, you know, it, it probably like that imposter syndrome voice of skeptic of, you know, am I going to make it? Like, mm -hmm. am I going to be, and I mean, make it as in like, am I going to be successful in my career? Am I going to be, you know, am I going to, it, it has, it had more to do with meeting my goals than it did meeting someone's expectation or society's expectations of me. It was more about, it was more, and that was more personally motivated. Like, you know, um, 
And um, so that was, that was definitely kind of an under, you know, an, an underlying mm-hmm. um, thing. And, and, you know, and I think that, um, and then what's the next step? Like, mm-hmm. what do I, you know, that's often one. And, um, and those two things would have been, you know, that a, a continual through line. And even, right. even today, I mean, I have to keep those things a bit, you know, a bit at bay in terms of, um, you know, self-talk or, or, you know, the little voice in my head. So what advice would you have for somebody earlier in their career dealing with imposter syndrome? Like what's a way, what's a tip or trick or tool that they could use to overcome it or, or manage it? Yeah. I remember the first time I actually really had imposter syndrome and, um, honestly it's recognizing when it's actually occurring is the first time is the first thing is the first step it's like um and then you know for me uh, like uh, you know i i almost i think it was the the time that imposter syndrome sunk in the most for me i think i was probably the closest ever to having a panic attack in in my entire life Mm. you know my heart was racing you know i was just like i my i was probably really fidgety and i was on an airplane actually um flying to go meet a new team of mine and i was like oh my god they're going to see through me and like who's this guy coming in from canada to meet these you know to meet us and you know it, is he qualified does he know what to do is he, you know and i and i all those like stingy thoughts were running through my mind about these people that i was going to go meet and then it was just recognizing wait a minute you haven't met these people you don't know what they're thinking you know, be yourself and, you know, just reconnect to my values and slowed my heart rate down and, you know, did a lot of breathing. And then five to 10 minutes later, I was like, you know what, you got this. Um, And, um, and so that, that definitely, and at times, you know, I mean, imposter syndrome creeps in all the time. You know, do do I know how to, do I know what I'm doing with this problem area? Do I know how to solve for this? Oh my gosh, I'm accountable for this. What do I need to do to to move this forward? Um, And I think those, you know, the doubt of, can you do this? It, I think if you can turn it into a question about what you, you know, how, how to turn it into a question to answer for yourself or to just sit with the question, what's needed right now? What, you know, what do I need to do? You know, what, what, how, sh- how would I move this forward? Right. If I did know how, what I was doing, what would I do? <laughs> you know, those types of like questions of asking myself, you know, to kind of free myself from having to have the right path or, you know, giving myself more options than just one. Yes, that is so great. That's super helpful. Thank you. Okay, next up. What is the lesson that has taken you the longest to learn? (laughs) Uh, Thank you for this question. (laughs) Said with a little bit of sarcasm. Um, It's a really good question. And... You know, there's the proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. Um, I can be very patient at times and I can be super impatient other times. And the lesson that is, you know, to, even to this day that I have to, you know, I have to s- sometimes slow myself down and, and be patient to bring people along with me. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, and so I like to move fast. I like to get a lot of things done. I like to um, drive for results. And, you know, there's a difference of driving for a result with others or driving to a result on my own. 
Mm. And, um, and that's definitely a lesson that is, has taken me the longest to learn. And I don't know that I've, I'm no, rather I'm not perfect at it. Right. Yeah. I can totally resonate with that, relate to that. Yeah. That really lands. Good one. Good one. Okay, so standing where you are today as the VP of Global Retail Experience for Amherst Sports, you are accomplished, you're respected. I know within the you know, Canadian and the North, the North American market, you're definitely one of the top leaders on people's radar that they want to work for. I want to know how it feels for you. Do you feel like you've made it? Does it feel as great as you thought it would when you were that seven-year-old kid standing on your bed, commanding the room? Tell us what it feels like. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, part of me is like, I'm just incredibly grateful for the one, the role I have. I love the job I'm in today. It's in my zone of strengths, the people that I work with, the, the work I get up to. Like I, I'm up at 5 a.m. every morning and it is no stretch to rip the sheets off, uh, you know, every day. Um, so I'm definitely grateful in, you know, like, have I made it? Is it like, I don't know, Do, you know, like yeah. part of me, part of me it, as this like lifelong learner and, you know, I, I had this, this, this sort of, um, physical response when when someone referred to me as an expert earlier this year I like almost wanted to throw up I was like I'm not an expert Um, don't deem me an expert because if someone's an expert it means like they cut off from from Mm -hmm. learning they're they've topped out right and I don't feel like I'm done like I'm not done yet um and I want to keep growing and developing so am I content and happy where I am am I um Am I grateful for that? Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, do I have more to do? Absolutely. And I think there's there's a really healthy balance for me um, in keeping those two things, you know, um, yeah, keeping those things balanced. Right. Yeah, it's a really good point. And that it makes me think of a question that I love asking, but we don't we did we don't actually have on the agenda today. But I'm going to throw it in. Um, when we talk about making it, you know, like. I think something that we don't often talk about are the relationships that really sustain us and define us. So I would love to ask you, you know, do you have a relationship like that in your life and what does it allow for you? Hmm. Um, do I have a relationship with, in terms of peers, like ask me the question one more time. Yeah. Is there a key relationship in your life that Hmm. really sustains you or defines you, you know, in some measure and, and what does that relationship then allow for you to be out in the world? You know, it's interesting. I don't know that I have one, mm. but I might answer it in, in the sense of I've worked with so many great people. I have had so many teams of people that I've worked with that I respect. And so it's the collective, all of them, you mm. know, like I think I, I'm motivated by by doing a good job and being a good person to, to work with and being a great person to work with. And I, you know, I take it seriously about, you know, gaining respect and earning people's trust. And, 
you know, I think about the people that I've, you know, like really closely worked with on big projects or at different times in my career. And I'm, that's what I'm grateful for. So there's almost every single one of those people has contributed to me in a totally different way, but I, it makes up the fabric of who I am as a leader and, um, and who I am as a colleague. I love that. I think it's really powerful when leaders see that, you know, their teams really contribute to them and who they are, their growth, their development. And when I mentioned earlier that I've worked for you twice in my career, they were both as your, the recruiter for your teams. And I think out of all the executives that I've recruited for, recruiting is usually their like least favorite thing to do. But you love it so much. You are so in it with me, like side by side, pouring over the like candidate summaries, resumes, like reveling in the interviews and really excited to like make those new connections. So I really love that part about working with you. I can really, it's a testament to hearing what you're saying right now. All right. So last question here is retail as a whole has had a really rough year, right? To be really frank, companies have been forced to pivot and adapt. What do you see, you know, the future of retail and what, what do you think it will look like 10 years from now? Well, so many industries have had a mm-hmm. unique year. Um, and, um, and, you know, when I think of retail, I think of, it's always been from the original merchant that sold something to a customer, it's always been changing and transforming. So, you know, as we look ahead 10 years in the future, the how consumers will buy from a retailer, from an organization or a brand, and how they'll, you know, interact with that brand and where they'll get the product from and how it gets to them. And, you know, it's gonna be about flexibility. It's gonna be about convenience. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely going to be about ease and, um, and I think authenticity, we talked about, you know, authenticity has been a word that's come up a bunch of times, but, um, you know, the, the brands that I think have authenticity, um, stand for something right. and that's what people, that's what people want. And as you look at the brands that are sort of, you know, the retail brands that are kind of coming, you know, hit, are either in bankruptcy protection or are closing or, you know, are not doing well. You know, I look at those brands and I say, well, what are they actually standing for? Right. Trying to be too much to everybody. Are they, what are they, you know, where are they actually looking at, you know, their, their warm spot where they're going to win? And, um, and, you know, how are they, are, how are they resonating with, with their, the people that they want to resonate with? Right. And so I think, you know, that's the future of retail. So it's, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd love to say like, oh, it's a store full of touchscreens and, you know, the product gets delivered to you by a robot. And it's actually not about that. It's about being, creating something relevant for the people that want to buy from you and doing it in a way that, um, that is true from the the organization's values and, and, and purpose. So great. Awesome, Joe. So we want to talk specifically about the company that you work for. Um, and we, you know, our listeners are often candidates out there in the marketplace. You work for some really highly desirable brands. Um, and actually, before I jump into this question, can you provide some color as to the brands that sit underneath of Amher Sports? Yeah, so um, 
Hammer is uh, Europe, uh, European based, and we have um, the, the, the biggest brands that people will be aware of are Arcteryx based out of uh, North Vancouver, um, Solomon based out of Annecy, France, Peak Performance based out of Stockholm, and Wilson based out of Chicago. Um, and then we have other um, brands. Um, Precore is a, um, an exercise equipment brand. Sunto is a um, digital watch uh, organization. Armada skis, Atomic skis, um, to name a few others. And that is that's uh, the Amr portfolio of brands. So, um, you know, really uh, a lot of diversity in terms of um, in terms of uh, the you know what we offer in terms of product. Um, everything in sport, really, and um, a wide range of from summer to winter sports. So, um, and, and, and it's, it's a global organization with presence literally on every continent. Perfect. Mm. So great. Okay, so when you are interviewing talent for Ammer, what are the top two to three things that you're listening for in an interview? Like what's, what's the inside scoop for someone who may be interviewing um, for one of the companies you just listened, listed? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I first and foremost want to see that I'm going to be working with a human being. Um, and someone that is able to be, um, you know, so I, I look for, um, someone that knows themselves that is, um, okay to speak candidly if they're confident enough in ambiguity or, um, asking for clarification, having the confidence to say, you know, can you repeat that? I don't understand. I'm not clear. Um, so I think, you know, that's one, one thing as, as we look at, like, there, we're in a we're in an industry that's transforming, and we're in a world that's transforming based on what we're dealing with now as a, as a global situation. And so, you know, meeting candidates that are you know know themselves, that are adaptable, that are um, able to um, you know to think outside of just their role, but the the interconnectedness of what they're doing and in you know how it's going to impact others that they're working with, maybe on another team or another department. Um, and connect, you know, their, their worlds to the bigger picture vision, you know, and that this, the, the sort of the 30,000 foot with the 10,000 foot, um, mm. levels, I think is, is also really key. Perfect. I love that you said those, um, you know, kind of soft skill competencies, because I think those are often forgotten with candidates. They don't think they're that important or they don't put a lot of time or effort into articulating how, um, you know, they excel or represent those skills. So I think that's really, really key to take away um, some of those key soft skills. So it was great. All right, Tess. All right. It's our favorite part. It's time for <laughs> rapid fire questions. Put you in the hot seat. <laughs> I honestly got a million ways with this show. And I know there's too many personal stories that I just had to like really pump. <laughs> really <laughs> dial it back. I had to dial it back. Yeah. So you can rest assured, but I have some really good ones that are going to be, Alicia is going to love this first question. Um, okay. So think pre COVID times. Top of your head, favorite restaurant in Vancouver? Oh, um, La Quercia. Oh, yes. Such a great call. Yeah. So good. And it's on 4th? It's on West 4th in Elma. Yeah. yeah. I haven't no. been. I've never been. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. Don't even order off the menu. Just say cook for me. Oh. oh. 
powerful. I want to go to Jake's Joe. thing to say. Don't even order off the menu. Just say cook for me. And just for the listeners, he leaned back in his chair. And oh my God, you are such a boss. This is why I want to marry you. This is why I you. I'm gay, Tess. <laughs> no, <laughs> I feel like we can work with that. Um, okay, next question. New York or Paris? <laughs> Great question. New York. Oh, okay. What, what tipped it over for you? Um... I have a soft spot for New York. I just, I like, I just, I, I like that all New Yorkers are grinding it out and working hard. Right. It's a commonality <laughs> between everybody there. It's just, you're just grinding it out and there's something about the energy of the place. Right. Um, and, uh, and it's, you know, it's a, it, I definitely can feed off the energy there from that. Love that. Okay, great. Last one. This is also a nod to Alicia. It's her favorite question. Who is your celebrity crush? <laughs> oh my God. Who is my celebrity crush? I wish you could see Alicia's face right now. Everyone, she's just <laughs> thrilled to bits about Find it. the best time. <laughs> um, oh my God. I don't, I, I'm trying to remember, like I could think of who I had. A, give it time. Okay. We actually interviewed, to give you some inspo, we interviewed my sister, Natalie Collard, who's a executive in Australia. And she, for this question, answered this question with Simon Sinek, which we, <laughs> which we, which I really wanted to disqualify, but we ended up allowing it. But it's what came to mind straight away. So if that opens things up for you, I just want to offer that out. Well, yeah. I mean, there's definitely, there's definitely like who's, who can, challenge who's who's um intellectually good looking you know right. yeah. um <laughs> well said joe um i honestly i i'm not being coy i don't know who <laughs> i don't know i don't i'm this is where i'm not a pop culture nerd this is okay. i'm like okay. yeah you have an academic crush or an, a scientist crush or an author crush we, we would take one of those at this stage I probably have more like athlete crushes. Okay. Okay. You know, like, um, cause uh, there's something in the like athletes, um, athletes that are like pursuing something, but are, you know, also, you know, like there's, it's, it's such a human thing. Um, we need a name. Uh, okay. Right now I'll, I'll give you uh, he's an Olympic skier. His name's Gus Kenworthy. Oh, good. I'm going to have to Google that. So Gus, yeah, you have to look on Kenworthy. Kenworthy. Okay, great. Yeah. Well, yeah. Answer. I wanted something obscure from you. That's what I was expecting, and I like it. Yeah. <laughs> he's he's probably he's probably he is younger than me, so that's uh, something too. Um, but yeah, I um, yeah, there's something there's something in the uh, in the athlete thing. Okay, I like it. Amazing, Joe. We're done. That's it. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you so, so much. What an honor to spend this time with you. Thank you for your vulnerability, your authenticity, and just showing up. It's My so pleasure. Thank you. It's so great. Thank you. Love you so much. Love you too. If you have 
feedback on this episode or episode suggestions, so things you want to hear us talk about or guests you want us to interview, send them to hello at 1111talent.com. Leave us a five-star rating on iTunes and be sure to leave a comment. We will select one comment per month for a one-on-one session on a people topic of your choice. So it could be on interview preparation, it could be a vision and goal session, or even defining your purpose. Don't forget to follow us on social. You can find us on Instagram at 1111talent, as well as LinkedIn and Facebook under our company name, 1111talent. Thank you for tuning in to today's session 11, the human side of business. And that's a mother wrap. Toodles!